And good morning, friends, planetary citizens, people for peace, pods of consciousness. It's time for global news in social artistry. Folks building a more humane world from the inside out. Glad to have you with us today. We have a special guest, actually two special guests in the studio today. Uh, we have my wife, Marcia. Good morning, Marcia. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> Again. And we have from Lupus, Missouri, Doug Ely. Most people don't know where Lupus is. You didn't know where it was when you were, what, growing up in Versailles or Jeff City or going to school in Columbia? Or? Yeah. Never never heard of it until that day uh, we were going to float down the river from Roachport to Cooper's, we thought. Uh-huh. And uh, it was raining that day, and uh, we had to scratch our plans, uh, five or six of us in Roachport, and we just sat around and hobnobbed. And as the day went on, the uh, skies kind of cleared up a little uh, after lunch, and I said, hey, guys, could we still do this? They said, well, no, it's too far to go before dark to get to Cooper's, but uh, one of them knew of a little town named Lupus on the other side of the river, and he said he'd, he'd pick us up there. So, okay, let's go, and hopped in the canoes <laughs> and wow, down the river and we you, went. And that's when you first set foot on this little uh, paradise of land. <laughs> well, some would call it that. Yeah. We've been there. It doesn't look like much. No, it sure doesn't. Uh, it was a, a bit different 40 years ago when mm -hmm. I arrived there, and uh, it was a bit more of a town, even though there was no business left. Uh, mm. The general store had closed a few years before that. And mm. uh, uh, But, boy, when I pulled the canoe up over the bank, my my senses just kind of blurred like stepping into a time warp, and uh, I had to come back the next day to make sure it wasn't. <laughs> You weren't in the time zone movie, and uh, oh, how interesting. Wow, and then you decided to buy a house there since they sold pretty reasonably. And Yeah, I soon offered a, a family $1,000 for a house, and they said 800 would be enough. <laughs> so... <laughs> I figured that was where I'm supposed That's to be. That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. 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 How interesting. And, and then you, somehow the general store became available. I don't know. what. Yeah, it had uh, emptied out in an auction. Uh, I I don't know if it was previously, I maybe earlier that year sold out. And a, a college professor here in town actually bought the store and <laughs> I tracked him down and asked him if he'd want to sell it. That uh, at the time I was doing stained glass window work and oh. could have uh, used it for a studio, and uh, he agreed, and I was able to get that. So that really helped. Where did you get the skill of stained glass window work? I learned it from uh, a couple who were doing it here in Columbia. Uh, about the time I was dropping out of graduate school in the <laughs> early 70s and had no other, didn't know where I was going to make any money, uh, mm -hmm. a friend of mine said, hey, you need to meet these people. I th she knew I was a little, could do some artwork, and uh, and I did, and I 
went to work for them in a studio right here on 10th Street. Um, it was a an, an uh, art gal a frame shop for a long time. Oh, okay. We were upstairs there. So that was in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, KOPN had not come on the air yet. They they were 73 when they first okay. came on the when we first came on the yeah. air. And when that happened, I was living down down the hill here at the bottom of 10th Street uh, on the way to Columbia College uh-huh. and. Uh, I remember I had an old wooden stand-up radio, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. four feet tall, and uh, surprised it had FM on it, but uh-huh. tuned them in, and uh, I think at the time, if I remember right, they, they, they could reach uh, so many block radius. <laughs> oh, to start with, sure. <laughs> kind of out the window and around town, <laughs> you know. But. Did you ever come to the Columbia Grocery uh, that Mark Heim had up here in the second floor? No, I, I didn't. Okay, so that was not part of your walking around town activity. Yeah. It's funny, you were right around the corner with your stained glass, just checking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we saw some of Marcia and I were over at your uh, Zuzak store in Boonville, uh, what, a couple of weeks ago, and saw... You showed us that stained glass repair job you did on mm-hmm. uh, that beautiful little awning on the store next door. Yeah, I, I rarely uh, do it my, anymore, but when I, I'm especially interested in old uh, windows or like that, a canopy that mm-hmm. are damaged and need repair. You know, if they've lasted 100 years, I'm happy to give them another 100. Wow. <laughs> what a great gift. Hey, thank you. Glad to hear that one. I didn't. Little piece we hadn't talked about that yeah. much. What we have talked about is how uh, this music concert, spring and fall, that you've been having for not, almost 10 years, hasn't it? Uh, more than that. More uh, than that. 15. 15 years. It will ha- the, the last one of the spring coming up in June will be concert number 150. Wow. wow. Nice round number. Yeah. And all of those 150 concerts, I've never reached out and asked any of them to, <laughs> to come. It somehow got loose in the grapevine out there from Winfield to wherever all over the country. And even have had uh, people from England, France, and uh, Scotland want to come yeah. and play the store. I was going to say that one time I told Doug, because he had all these musicians wanting to come to his general store, he was one of the luckiest people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to have these musicians come oh, and play for true. you. To the dead end of a little road in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On the beautiful Missouri River. Yep. Uh, there's uh, people that were connected not just with music but also with music. Uh, I met a guy named uh, Bob Dyer around 1971. He was down on the Round Oak land that Hearst John had, mm-hmm. and I think he was living in a uh, one of those uh, railroad tie houses. And I just bumped into him. I was just wandering around, mm. and <laughs> you know. I never saw him again. Really? But you saw him because he mm-hmm. became a good friend. Yes, he did. And I met him about that same time as oh. I was uh, moving from the culture to the counterculture. And uh, 
and thereby out to Round Oak, where uh, I, at one time I got there after the commune of 50 or so hippies had come and then gone, but mm. Bob uh, was still there and a few others, and uh, uh, we got, became good friends, and uh, to this day I'll always consider him the best friend I'll probably ever have, and he uh, his ability to... Uh, just write music, poetry. He taught uh, at the MU for a while. I'm not sure what in. I think English or <clears throat> somewhere. But uh, boy, he could uh, f feel the uh, vibes of wherever we were and hmm. and turn them into words and hmm. notes on his guitar. Yeah. Then he moved back to his hometown of Boonville. Mm -hmm. And passed away about 11 years ago on the same bluffs he set foot on. Uh, we both uh, were born in a hospital that's no longer there on the bluffs in Boonville, overlooking the river. Overlooking the river. <laughs> I think there must have been some uh, vibrations going on. <laughs> yeah, that residence never goes away. <laughs> yeah, we're sending Dougie Lee and uh, Bobby, what do you call him? Uh, bo uh, bo Bobby Lee. Uh, that all began with when I told him the story of me being a paper boy when we lived a short time in Jeff's well not a short uh, in Jefferson City during my grade school years. I was a paper boy and when, and then uh, you collected the weekly money from the front door of everybody's house and mm -hmm. one lady asked me what my name was and I said Doug Ely and she said Dougie Lee what. <laughs> <laughs> And Bob's middle name, I think, is Lee, and so I just started calling him Bobby Lee. Bobby <laughs> Lee and Dougie Lee. What a team. What a team. Beautiful. I remember that Marsha and I got to go. Well, there was a tribute to Bob Dyer that uh, Michael Cochran and Roseanne and different ones, uh, Lee Ruth, came and played at the store. Uh, might have been part of a chili festival or not. I'm not sure. But anyway, it was uh, one of those sweet moments of our time with you yeah you just mentioned the other few legends i would put on a list of three and in their own time uh mike cochran and lee ruth yeah he's he's still my guitar teacher <laughs> lee ruth still yeah. teaches marcia yeah. yeah well about the time i found lupus uh but i was still just about to move there a friend and i walked the uh, Katy Trail from downtown Columbia at the old Katy train station all the way down to uh, Perchy Creek. Mm -hmm. and, uh, now this is when the rails were still on the Katy yeah, Trail. the rails and the bridges were all still there. Yeah, because they hadn't made a decision to turn it into a walking, right. biking trail. Right. But as you walked along, you were yeah. seeing things that uh, you thought other people would enjoy seeing. Oh, for sure. So much so that when I got back, it just sort of came out of me. I, you know, without any effort at all, this 33-page proposal I wrote for the preservation and development of a Boone Regional Historic and Multi-Use Corridor. And I, I put a map in there of about 10 or 15 locations that we came upon as we walked down there. and mm -hmm. Just what an awesome number of things that could happen with parks. And yeah. uh, and uh, much of that's come true. The, uh, the part about uh, it 
keeping the rails available for uh, commuters and uh, to park down at Turner's cro Turner's Crossing or McBain and ride the, a train into town and back home to their car in the evening. Mm -hmm. That part <clears throat> didn't happen, but that's okay. The uh, you know it's still available to to the big Katy Trail. Uh, mm -hmm. the, I think still the longest uh, rails to trails park in the nation and mm -hmm. uh, uh, which uh, could then bring people on into Columbia and mm -hmm. I, I I I see up here where it ends there on the corner of oh, yeah. Broadway and Providence uh, the a possibility for a ho hostel wouldn't that be neat to get on your bike in St. Charles or somewhere and end yeah. up in downtown Columbia at a uh, an expensive hostel for a day or two. Perfect. Uh, what do you do? You picture a hostel in something like the old ice plant or uh, some building that might still be around there? It's, oh, uh, oh, yeah, very much so. That uh, the that's such a historic site the where Broadway meets Providence Road. More historic than uh, anyone could ever believe, really, until you read about that history as to how. Uh, Columbia, uh, you want me to get in a little better? Well, I guess so. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> uh, well, Columbia uh, was born uh, not long after the United States doubled in size with the the Louisiana Purchase. Mm -hmm. That uh, that <clears throat> actually doubled the real estate, the size of the United States, and then uh, Lewis and Clark. The year after went up and to the Pacific and back, and then uh, pretty soon after. By anyway, by 1816, the town of Franklin was laid out across the river, well across from Boonville in the river bottom there, mm -hmm. and it became the first land office west of St. Louis. And boy, uh, the it was right next to the Boone's Lake Trail, which I should back up and say this: the movement west from the purchase of uh, the Louisiana Purchase started out down the tra down a trace, and then the Boone brothers in 1805 bought uh, property at a salt lick uh, just about 10 miles west of Booneville near the river, mm -hmm. and uh, they made some good money uh, mining salt or just evaporating the water in a salt mm -hmm. uh, big cookers, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, salt spring. That they call the salt lick because animals needing salt all came there to lick the salt in. So uh, that was the most talked about route west at that uh, early 1800s was mm -hmm. people in St. Louis headed west. We're, we're going down the Boone's Lick, of yeah. course, the trail. Yeah. Well, at that time when Franklin was became the first land office, land speculators moved in there and in a few years, the town was 200 people, and within five years, it was 1,000 people. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's right at a low... If you happen down Old 40 to Boonville, but just before you cross the bridge into town, and look to your right, there's a, a big building was built, hoping to be a uh, museum for a landowner that had found a steamboat buried on his property, mm. like the Arabia in Kansas City. But then he, uh, unfortunately, he, uh, died of cancer in the building, never. Mm. But it sits just next door to what was the uh, original town of Franklin, Missouri. 
And uh, so there are 34 guys in Franklin came. Uh, they were looking around, seeing how counties were being divided up and buying the center of the counties, knowing that they could then become the county seat mm-hmm. and then flip that property and make Ooh. a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. So they bought a little over 2,000 acres in the center of a brand-new county. Then Daniel Boone died that year, and it was named Boone County. Okay. And uh, they also saw the Boone's Lick Trail coming through the middle of this county, and the uh, Missouri River just seven miles down down the road from mm-hmm. down the flat branch in Hinkson and Perchy Creek. So they laid the city out in in a way that uh, could take advantage of that. Right. People headed west mm-hmm. and access to the river. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, I grew up on Garth, mm-hmm. and Garth was right at the edge of the original plot wasn't it was it? actually the center of the original plot that they named the town smith then for the guy the collector of revenue there in franklin mm-hmm. and they laid that uh six by eleven block town plat right centered on garth <laughs> where the library is yeah they went to jeff city and said okay can we be the county seat jeff city said where's your water supply oh oh so they just Looked down the hill, saw Flat Branch <laughs> Creek running down. And the a road. few springs. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they picked the plat up, moved it over several blocks, set it back down, went back to Jeff City and said, here's our water supply. Uh-huh. Okay. Sleep. You can be. <laughs> you can be. And they, by, when they made that move, they changed the name to Columbia. Columbia was born. Right then, right there. Because of that stream of water that today flows out from under the old ice plant at the corner of Broadway and Providence. Yeah. Talk about history. Oh, man. What a historic site. And that has been for sale for a number of years now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've tried to get the city interested in buying that and putting the Boone County, Boone's Lake Historic Headquarters there Mm -hmm. and uh, display history and art and uh, and that there's a building right behind there that would, could become the ho- hostel. Yeah. You know, what yeah. a place. Come into town, and hang your bike up. Across the street is an old-time <laughs> diner. Yeah. And the railroad station open for dinner and brews and, uh, and then walk up the street. So mm-hmm. for the historic, it is, in a, you know, the most historic node or site in this town. And with that... Fl- flow of uh, people going by. Uh, Here's a quote from uh, 1834. The editor of the newspaper marveled, quote, never within our recollection has there been such an influx of immigrants as are now and have been for some weeks been passing through this place to the more western part of the state. There appears to be an almost unbroken line of wagons, carts, carriages, cattle, and slaves. And that's what was going down Broadway. Here we sat in KOPN just 50 feet from where that was taking place, going wow. down Broadway. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that, that route west met Providence Road leading down to the town of Providence where uh, the steamboat traffic was uh, in uh, 1867, 71 steamboats plied the Missouri River 
and uh, I don't know if they all docked in Providence or not, not but then Columbia built a wooden plank road, the last one to be built in Missouri, from that corner of Providence down to Providence, Missouri. And wow. for about eight miles on an eight to 12 foot wide wooden road, you could. But that's how important it was mm-hmm. to uh, receive mm-hmm. commerce and, and mm-hmm. ship and your from a steamboat from yeah. there mm-hmm. down there to the boats to the. Because this St. is Louis prior to the railroad. To New Orleans, yes, all this yeah. was mm-hmm. taking place before the railroads, which mm-hmm. came to replace River. And then something happened to the town of Providence, or is it still? Uh, well, yeah, the river moved away, uh, <laughs> uh, as it always did until the Corps started to c- capture and quit not allowing it to move. Actually, the first river town was Nashville, mm-hmm. uh, down there just about where the Bon Fem comes in out of Boone County into the river. Uh, but then it washed away, and they, they moved it up to Providence. Mm-hmm. And But now if you go down there, it's about a mile, I think, that to go from the side of the old town down to the mouth of Perchy Creek that enters the river just because the meanders of a river just continually move mm-hmm. and where a river is one year uh, 50 years from now it'll be on the other side yeah. of a four mile wide bottomland yeah so here the planners of columbia uh, had this wide broadway mm-hmm. and they intentionally had it nice and wide but it's the same width as it is today uh, I, I imagine yeah they, they, the the streets the uh the four uh, ash, cherry, locust, and walnut mm-hmm. were 60 feet wide, and but two streets, Broadway and Water Street, which is now Fourth Street, mm-hmm. were 100 feet wide. Yeah, and uh, there was, and then in that design, there was symmetrically separated two public areas: the public square, where now sits the courthouse, mm-hmm. ever since then, and the market square was right down there in Flat Branch Park. Yeah. And uh, could be again. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. So you took a walk, had a vision, you wrote a proposal. Shortly after that, you've moved to Lupus. You become famous. <laughs> 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 or as uh, uh, Senator Proxmire would say, infamous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, You know, I don't think Marsha and I had ever heard of the sky crapper, <laughs> but uh, evidently a lot of people in this country did because you were in Time Magazine, I believe. Yeah, picture me and it in Time Magazine. Yeah, yeah, and it was Johnny Carson made jokes about it on the TV. And yeah, I heard truck drivers were arguing about it on their CBs in Texas. <laughs> It definitely was my 15 minutes of fame, I guess. And this started in 1979 when you got a $1,200 grant, right? Right. I applied to the Department of Energy for a grant and uh, was given $1,200 to build it, and uh, away I went. It took a year or so to build, and and then another to test, see how it worked, and uh, then I wrote that. Oh, 60-page final report, and that was my final requirement to provide the to the Department of Energy. But and a lot of people uh, took that and uh, took your plans for how to do it and built their own skycrappers. Oh, yeah. There must have been a half a dozen, maybe around Lupus mm-hmm. at the time, and I heard from people all over the country. And 
Well, in composting toilets now, uh, you can get them online. You can order your composting toilet, which is sort of the bringing your idea down to a something that you can have even in your own house, uh, mm -hmm. as long as you have the right vent and clean out and, mm -hmm. and uh, add the right materials to it. And yeah, and thereby... 45% of the water that enters your house is not exiting out the toilet, uh, right. having been polluted to some degree. What a waste of water. <laughs> and uh, the co compost toilets don't use a drop of water and don't pollute a drop mm -hmm. of water. So yeah. that's that, that house I got for $800 had an outhouse. It did not have a flush toilet, and mm -hmm. I was just of a mind not to... Uh, put a septic tank in that would maybe then bleed into the near surface groundwater right below the house mm -hmm. that and uh, looked into an alternative and on it was this, the solar part I, I built a homemade solar collector with just a panel of glass about the size of a door <clears throat> and some tin painted black under it and closed in a box and mm -hmm. stood it up and uh, put a thermometer in the top to and it pegged, most thermometers only go to 120 degrees. I had to go get a candy thermometer and read 140 degrees coming out of this homemade solar collector. Oh, my goodness. So, so this is because you made sure that that window faced south. South, so that you'd have sun. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And it had to be a certain temperature for the microbes or something right, like right. that. The microbes that break down the waste. Uh, don't like getting below 40 degrees and the warmer the better and uh, mm -hmm. that was able to uh, make them happy so that's is that <laughs> called a passive solar collector i believe so. because you didn't have any photovoltaic cells or anything you just no. had your glass nope, yep. the sunlight your black painted tin and I, d I did have six barrels of water against the north wall so that Downstairs, the, the uh, two big panels opened up during the day. Uh, you go back and open them first time out there in the morning. <clears throat> Sun came in and not only warmed the space, but it hit those black barrels and mm. warmed the water. So uh -huh. the last time in the evening, you shut the uh, panels <laughs> and uh, those barrels of water ra oh, man. radiating heat. <clears throat> Just didn't miss a thing, did Happy you? Happy making microbes. What a beautiful story. You've been listening to Global News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and my guests today are Doug Ely from Lupus, Missouri, along with my wife, Marcia. We'll return in just a few moments. Welcome back to Global News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. This show was pre-recorded back in May, uh, actually the 16th of May, a day when uh, Doug and Marsha and I came to the studio and uh, seemingly as we stepped onto the sidewalk outside, the studio shut down in its transmission 
And so, <laughs> in lieu of a live recording, we uh, went into the studio and recorded this uh, particular interview. So I appreciate your patience in my editing process of uh, getting music and these inserts uh, put in. And another insert that Doug wanted me to include is a shout out to uh, two authors that have written about the history of the area. One is John Crichton. His book is A History of Columbia and Boone County. And you can find uh, eight copies of it over at the Daniel Boone Regional Library. Or you can look up in the Columbia Daily Tribune archives over 140 articles or 480 pages that were published over three years in the Tribune thanks to uh, Henry Waters III, who was the publisher at the time. The other author is my father, Warren Dalton who had a column in the Columbia Daily Tribune for about 10 years, and often uh, his topics included the history of Columbia about the times that uh, Doug has spoken of here, the beginnings of Columbia. And you can find those columns in his two books, Between the Columns, there at the Boone Historical Society, or also at the Daniel Boone Regional Library. So now we will get back to more stories uh, with Doug Ely from Lupus, Missouri on Glocal News in Social Artistry. And the next story was the Perchy Fish Kill, which was 87. Right, right, about 10 years later. Yeah. Why was it important for you to hear that oh. fish died in the Perchy Creek? <clears throat> Is that north of Lupus? Yes. Okay. Up, upstream. Upstream. Uh, about two miles. What happened was the brand new uh, $23 million sewage treatment plant that Columbia built worked okay for about four years. And then one day when I was down at the Park Place uh, bar down here. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Where Rose is now. Yeah. A fellow walked up to me and said, hey, Doug, I just came up from Perchy and all the fish are floating in the creek. Yeah. Wow. And I turned around and called the uh, newspaper reporter who had done stories on the skycrapper, who I'd met and uh, very good environmentally mm. inclined. Mm -hmm. They sent somebody down, took pictures, and mm. uh, hit the newspaper. And uh, Columbia had paid a $17,000 fine for those 3,000 dead fish mm. and mm. had to come up with us. You know, and so they went back to the same engineers. You'd think that would have had a warranty or something, but those engineers <laughs> said, "Well, we'll tell you what we'll do. We'll build you a pipe to the river for only fifteen million dollars." And that's when I saw that in the news and went and looked at the maps and saw that that pipe would be emptying just above an island that we all recreated on. Is that uh, the California California oh. Island? Mm -hmm. I just all my alarms went off, and I uh, and fortunately at the same time, somebody a f friend in Lupus handed me a Harold Smith magazine that showed that how John Todd was a wetlands wastewater engineer b building these things in other parts of the country, and uh, boy, I got a hold of him and his outfit and uh, came to the city and said, uh, "Here's an alternative." Uh, 
we we sure hope you don't dump your 13 million gallons a day of wastewater <sighs> nine nine hours after you flush it here in Columbia into the Missouri River. Wow! And uh, they they voted six to one to go ahead with the pipe. Whoa! And uh, the one vote against it was Marianne McCullum, who became the next mayor of Columbia. Thank mm-hmm. you, Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, we, we kind of organized a resistance group, and a, a friend I met at the Sierra Club, Hank Ottinger, became my, uh, he rode shotgun with me and was even a much better speaker than me as mm-hmm. we went around promoting this. And, and, and what did CRAP stand for? Uh, yes on his in his living room one night we came up with that acronym for citizens resolved against pipeline c-r-a-p ingenious it's just just beautiful and an old high school buddy of mine jerome wheeler who had moved to boonville wrote a song about it all uh called i think doo doo one or uh yeah Columbia Pipeline Blues or something, yeah, and uh, that was getting a lot of attention on the radio. And then, uh, then a uh, lawyer in the Department of Natural Resources handed me one page out of the Clean Water Act, and that stopped the entire pipeline process because in in the act that get, was going to give them nine million of that fifteen million dollars to build a pipe, it said you must fully study and evaluate innovative and alternative technologies. Ooh. I looked through the reports from Black and Veatch, nowhere did I find that they had met that requirement. So I went <laughs> back to the city council read that to them and said, We will meet you at the Clean Water Commission and expect to lose your nine million dollars yeah. you have failed to comply with the clean water act wow. that stopped that freight train dead in its tracks Man. and they saw, <laughs> i love it <laughs> turned around sent out rfps requests for proposals for wetlands wastewater mm-hmm. and people came and they picked one and chose to go that way mm-hmm. and then there was another song right oh yes and uh, <laughs> due to the happy ending of all that jerome wrote another do do too song, and you know I was at home trying to find those, and I I can't yet find them. But uh, anyway, they're great. Uh, they're not on YouTube, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, somebody if they if somebody listening out there knows uh, where Jerome uh, Wheeler's do do one and do do two are, maybe you could put them up on a, a YouTube channel and with those names, Jerome Wheeler, uh, Columbia. Pipeline Blues, uh, Doo-Doo One, and Doo-Doo Two. That'd be great to, it, because it was so catchy. It was just a, a funny, yeah. a radical, catchy jingle song that he uh, came yes. up with. And the whole uh, whole thing appealed to the citizenry to the point that when Columbia said, well, we can go this way, but we're going to have to uh, raise your sewer taxes Ninety-five percent of the people who voted voted in favor of raise, raising mm-hmm. their taxes to go with the wetlands. Wow! Which now is that phenomenal. Is, <laughs> when you know that a tax is going for something that you believe in, sure we'll pay for it. Yeah. 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 We don't want to flush our toilet into the river. Oh, by the way, I, I, I'm sorry if I haven't mentioned it. We're talking to Doug Ely from Lupus. Used to be a for 15 years, the mayor of Lupus, and had a lot to do with uh, 
wetlands over on by the Missouri River or just south of uh, 70 Bridge and uh, Eagle Bluffs. We might get into that in a second. Uh, and this is local news in social artistry. I hope there are some younger folks able to listen and see how something gets done that needs to get done. <laughs> there has to be a person that hears the issue and is impassioned about making it either not happen or happen, whatever the case may be. And then things started coming to you. So it was like you were committed to stopping this pipeline and people started handing you papers and this and that and mm -hmm. and and the support just you were like a magnet to the support that then came as a mighty force and there wasn't any way to stop it. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing of personal commitment is is really a, a powerful force in our world if we if we got it yeah and the one the word you mentioned passion i think was the most important part if you see something and believe in it and within you grows a passion to make make it happen mm -hmm. you're halfway there <laughs> yeah by the way folks if you go to the columbia missourian archive for uh, March the 4th of uh, 2018, you'll see a story on Doug Ely and a documentary that's been put together by Carl Gerhardt on this whole process that Doug's been talking about. And you already mentioned your friend Hank Ottinger mm -hmm. and uh, beautiful documentary. We've gotten to see it. And uh, I think in the same Missourian article, there's a link to Jerome's first doo-doo song. It was in 1994, in my notes here, where uh, Columbia's mayor received a Council of Mayors Award for the most livable city in America under 100,000 in recognition of innovation and environmental protection with regards to its wastewater treatment wetlands. Was that a follow-up from all this? Uh, well, yeah, I, I guess it'd have to be. Uh, yeah. You know, it. they chose to go the other route with wetlands <clears throat> and got that award. All right. And so this documentary is also about Eagle Bluffs, which is a wildlife preservation area. Is that the right name? Uh, yeah, wildlife refuge, refuge uh, uh, conservation uh. department. Uh, and this is a migratory pathway mm -hmm. uh, where now... All kinds of different wildlife come through, mostly the flying type. Yeah, there are eagle nests down there. You can see eagles and their young ones high up in the nests. I went down there when the uh, newspaper was making that uh, article and uh, with Hank, and mm -hmm. we uh, saw a lot of people with their binoculars and their cameras with telephoto lenses, bird birders, a lot of them, and... Uh, Pretty pretty neat area. So how do people get to Eagle Bluff? Is it you're, you're going on Highway 70? Is there a turnoff from there at Roachport or? Well, what I think of when you're in Columbia and you can get off a stadium onto Providence and head straight south, and that will take you to McBain. And oh, okay. That's I don't know the that's number the best on, way on to the go. Road, yeah. But, mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and. Uh, 
when you get down and just past what used to be the little town of McBain, mm-hmm. uh, you'll see a sign turning to your left. And for the next five miles, as you drive down the gravel, you'll go by wetlands and seabirds and uh, and come fi- eventually down near the mouth of Perchick Creek. And I happen to live just across the river in Lupus. Lupus mm. is just across the river. And in that article, I, the one thing the reporter said was that she was surprised I had not been there in 20 years. And I, I, I am, too, I, that I had not driven over there. But every morning when I get up out of bed and look out my window, I'm looking into the middle of Eagle Bluffs. So. Right. Wow. <laughs> you said something in that article that I thought was important to share. They were talking about kind of like uh, finger pointing or blame or why aren't more people environmentally conscious uh, maybe was the question and you made a statement that included the phrase responsibility oriented education we all have an impact on the environment we live in the world we live in and uh, if uh, you know how many people have ever actually wondered what happens when I flush that stool? Mm. You know, how mm. many? Uh, if we uh, responsibly educated our youngins is to ask those kind of questions and then maybe go down to the treatment plant and then maybe go out to the mm-hmm. wetlands and mm-hmm. and show them, well, this is what's happening here. It could have been a pipe to that Missouri River and onto the beaches where mm-hmm. you would like to be swimming. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, responsible you know, just last night, <laughs> sorry about the, taking a, a moment for my own story, but I was uh, imagining writing a short 10-minute play about responsibility. And it, it would be an interview situation where somebody is the uh, hirer for a company, you know, somebody that's going to hire people, and the different candidates come in for a brief interview. And so the, the person for the company says to the interviewee, uh, well, uh, do you recycle? And if the candidate said no, then bye. Okay, <laughs> next. <laughs> All right, then, so there could be a series of questions. It wouldn't always be recycle. But it would all have to do with understanding responsibility and having practiced it in the past and filtering out the ones that don't seem to yeah yeah and just saying Mm -hmm. no no we need people here that know what it's like to clean a toilet so sorry uh uh, and just in 10 minutes just uh you know have a little fun dialogue like that but Mm -hmm. i think because i read this little quote it just sort of triggered that scene in my mind for for some reason that brings to mind a current thing going on that kids it would be nice to educate them about is CAFOs constant mm. that's going on uh, in confined fact, animal feeding operations right yeah. where <clears throat> over 7,000 hogs are mm. confined on less than 25 acres mm-hmm. and uh, all of the waste uh, is there and the potential to pollute your groundwater, your drinking water, and 
your land and the odor in your air if you mm -hmm. live next door. Uh, I just wrote and sent a note to about 10 <clears throat> people in Jeff City in the House of Representatives mm -hmm. who are voting on a bill this week as to uh, not allowing local ordinances to protect that water and air. Uh, you know, we They want to stop local people from being able to protect their own water and air. Right. Wow. As and now in uh, one county, the locals did have that ability, and uh, they they stopped uh, a KFO, so it just moved over the county line to the next county mm -hmm. south. And this is a I call it a tsunami of KFOs are moving south out of Minnesota into Iowa. Now they've you know they've about met probably messed up as much of Iowa as they can, so they're moving into Missouri mm -hmm. and, and have come. This It's kind of like the glaciers of 10,000 years ago came south, wow. and they stopped where now the Missouri River flows. But mm. Uh, mm. that's mm -hmm. a good uh, subject to, I think, educate our youth about. <laughs> Not to mention the animal abuse that oh, takes yes. place in those places. Oh, my. Hill on earth for those animals. Yeah, I don't know if their feet ever touch the ground like chickens, you know. Hmm. And they're so cramped up and they get diseases and uh, just die. So can we uh, tie that CAFO, because you invited us to the Les Bourgeois. A woman was giving a presentation on mm -hmm. this invasion of the, the CAFOs. Well, there would be a nice song that somebody could come up with on that one, too, I imagine. Oh, yeah. But Columbia is growing, and Columbia is going to need more water. And right now, Columbia gets its water from wells, is that correct, mm -hmm. that actually uh, are over close to the Missouri River, aren't they? Yes, they are in the same uh, piece of alluvial bottomland as Eagle Bluffs is and the wetlands wastewater treatment uh, wetlands are mm -hmm. uh, down at McBain is mm -hmm. where there are I think 18 15 operating wells about 18 have been drilled down there and I hear that they're going to put another 15 double the size of the wells that it's a real good place to get water from a, a big rivers alluvial fill it's uh, the geology there is like a notch in the solid rock and the filled with a hundred feet of sand and uh, clay uh, and gravel mm -hmm. and uh, the lower 75 feet of which is saturated with water so mm -hmm. you can drill a well less than a hundred feet you almost punch it in the ground less than a hundred feet and pump all of that water in in up and out at the mm -hmm. rate of I think I read 1700 gallons an hour when I moved, when I was born, Columbia's population was 20,000 people. Mm -hmm. When I came to college here, it was 60,000 people, and now it's 120,000 mm -hmm. people. I mean, it is just going to grow. It, it'll mm -hmm. be twice that in another, who knows, 30 years. And uh, to have that <clears throat> source of water, I mean, our bodies are about 65 to 70% water, and our blood's 83% water. We need about eight cups of water a day just to maintain our health. And, and uh, what more important can there be than a city provide 
for mm-hmm. that water for our health and well-being mm-hmm. and uh, there with the Missouri River just nearby and those alluvial bottoms there there is the source enough but there's also um, 18 million gallons of sewage water headed down into those same bottoms and I'm afraid they will soon be uh, kind of duking it out mm-hmm. wet, wetlands versus water supply when and this is a, a mission i've been on here lately to in, inform columbia just rise above the situation and look down from the air see columbia and its growth and look at the alluvial bottoms just across the river and upstream from the wetlands the overton Woldridge bottoms that are like seven miles long never have had a city there never a source of pollution and forever could be the next place for columbia to be putting its wells and getting its drinking water and just merely it's a routine procedure to put a pipe under the river few years ago they did it in lupus for gas and oil just in a Mm -hmm. month or two they have a pipe put under the river in jeff city when you flush the toilet that goes under the missouri river to a treatment plant on the other side so Mm. that's no big deal you just sometimes you just got to shake people and make them uh, step back step up look down realize oh yeah we didn't think about that but uh so i've been to the uh actually last week went and talked to uh the manager of the uh, federal big muddy fish and wildlife refuge whose new headquarters is in uh, over by over 10 uh, tom bell and just said what do you think of this idea could columbia actually come over into the refuge and have their wells and he didn't say no uh, he he did he seemed uh, mm-hmm. agreeable but you know that was just his first time hearing about it all but mm-hmm. i think that could easily happen and columbia form an agreement like they did with the conservation department as to the use of eagle bluffs uh, using their water right to uh right keep all those wetlands right going and so uh your schooling uh there was geology mm-hmm. in your so you you have a, a mind that sees the geology of the land you worked for the state in the department of natural resources for what 20 years mm-hmm. uh and water was involved in that uh work actually i was in the air pollution air pollution program. okay but an environmental uh eye for things yes yeah water's choice. and so you're able to see this and you're just trying to get your vision into other people's minds that don't have your own background to see the practicality and maybe even the necessity of using this resource uh, for the future because the town's not going to get any smaller. Right, and they are in the midst of uh, planning for how to upgrade their water system, water mm-hmm. supply system down there. And if, if at this point they realized the new place to be getting it would mm-hmm. be just across the river. Right. Uh, um, uh, millions of dollars spent trying to fabricate or keep together the old location and system could be saved by moving across to right. the new situation, and right. uh, and uh, that would again, just like the wetlands saved. 
Columbia, I don't know how many mm-hmm. millions of dollars not building a concrete and steel pipe to the river, uh, mm-hmm. this new location, yeah. and feeding new uncontaminated water to town sh- should save them yeah. a lot, too. So we've spent an hour here talking to uh, a local treasure. So I want to thank you, Doug Ely. Thank you, Dick and Marsha. Uh, Marsha's here. I want to thank you. Your Marsha didn't get to say much, but she's a very calming effect here, <laughs> and very inspiring and necessary for the ambience and resonance um, of the moment. It's uh, Doug's interview. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <Doug> Lee. <laughs> maybe after you've recovered from this interview which would take about a year probably, uh, we, <laughs> we could have you back to see how things are going with the, uh, the future of Columbia Water and the crossroads down at Providence and Broadway and, and whatever other visions have uh, come into your mind. Yeah, I'll be very curious because just a day or two ago I left the water proposal and the crossroads of history proposal in the uh, city hall for the mayor to read and this morning on my cell phone was a message from him thanking me and invite me to come and say more so well let's go celebrate okay thank you all and listeners thank you uh, this has been local news in social artistry uh, with our special friend doug eagley and uh, we'll see you next week